This is an ABC podcast. If not at 70% and 80%, then when? Would Australia be closer to reopening if the Prime Minister had not failed his two jobs on vaccine and quarantine? Unfortunately, in the background, actions are still proving that they don't get it. Nobody is telling us exactly what's involved in the plan. Australia seems to have left it far too late to help those who helped us. I've had a gutful. I have had an absolute gutful. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis from RN Drive and Afternoon Briefing, joining you from the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. I'm here in Sydney with Fran. It's quite a long time since you've been here in Sydney. Since April, which is a big chunk of time for me, given I do come to Sydney quite a lot. And now I'm back. Beautiful city. And let me introduce myself, Fran Kelly from RN Breakfast, also on the Gadigal land of the Aurora Nation. We're going to be joined in the party room today by Stan Grant, the ABC's international affairs analyst, who this week also fronted a COP26 climate doco on the ABC News Channel. So he's fully across that because, PK, much of the week was dominated by the, the final communique out of the Glasgow Climate Summit. These big meetings, they always have a communique that has to be a consensus statement. Um, it called on countries to phase down coal, not phase out, phase down, and to increase their 2030 emissions reduction targets by this time next year. It's a consensus document, the communique. It's also non-binding. And what happened was within hours of signing it, the Morrison government ruled both those changes out. In fact, PK, in a surreal or maybe outrageous is a better word, interview with you on Afternoon Briefing, Barnaby Joyce not only ruled out Australia being bound by those elements of the communique, he went further, completely distancing his party, the National Party, from the Glasgow process altogether. I didn't sign it. I wasn't there. The, the National government been very firm it. in making The Nationals did not sign it, PK. Okay, I did not sign it. You are the Deputy Prime Minister of the Morrison Government. The Morrison Government. I know, and I'm very proud of being the Deputy Prime Minister. Sorry, I've got it. I wake up in the morning and I think about it. Let me ask you this. You're the Deputy Prime Minister and you're saying, I didn't sign it. I know, you don't have to keep telling me that. I know that. Incredible. He is, just to remind us again, the Deputy Prime Minister of Australia. Since when are the Nationals not a part of the Coalition Government and not bound by Australia's commitments? I thought it was... An extraordinary performance. It was extraordinary, but I think it's worth analysing what he's doing here because I don't think this is accidental. I don't think Barnaby Joyce, I've seen some analysis or some commentary, which is, you know, that he went rogue. And this is not rogue. This is on, this is the way he does his business. It's very Trump-esque, this performance. It's about entertainment. Uh, he, he likes, remember that that um, compliment people have used about him for years, which is that he's the best retail politician in the business. He takes that very seriously. He's very proud of that. So what he's trying to do is send a message to his base uh, that he he's not he's not part of these kind of big international uh, agreements which bind. Okay, it's non-binding, but you know, try yeah. and make your country where the uh, rules for Australia are made somewhere else. That's right. So he can say, I wasn't there. I wasn't part of that. When challenged, you know, he concedes, yeah, we're part of the executive government. But what he's really sending a signal about, or trying to send a signal about, is that he um, doesn't actually support the ideas behind this. And he went on, as you know, because you interviewed him and really did an excellent interview challenging him on the Thanks, fact that he... Okay. Yeah, well, you did. Um, challenging him on the way that, that, you know, he was using all of these strategies, but they are strategies, Fran, and he wants 
the the bush. He wants regional communities. He wants coal communities to to believe that he's on their side. He will not um, do anything to get rid of coal in our in our um, in our economy. That's what he wants people to know. He doesn't care if people challenge him because that's the only message he wants out there. So here he is wiping his hands of of the government's signature on this communique. Uh, even though he is a key member of the government, of its executive, the deputy prime minister, I mean, you know, sort of meant to be the second most powerful man in the country, meant to be by hierarchy. But in the same interview, he, he went even further. He he mocked uh, Alok Sharma, the president of the COP26 summit, who had delivered an emotional apology uh, to delegates at the climate summit over last minute changes to the climate deal. Let's have a listen to Barnaby Joyce mocking Alok Sharma. It annoys me, PK, that what's the guy's name? Is it Mr. The Chairman Sharma in uh, in Glasgow? And he was with his gavel, like, oh, I'm almost crying. I can't do this. He wants to shut down our coal industry, but he never talked about shutting down uh, the oil fields in the North Sea, Brent Oil. No, he doesn't want to shut that down. He wants to shut down industries in other people's mm. countries, not in his country. Mm. Mm. So. He's playing this role where he's like, these international figures, they want to shut down your industry. What's that a message to the workers in those coal seats? You know, we're talking the hunter where they're on the hunt, (laughs) the nationals trying to seize territory as well. That's what that's all about. And and that he doesn't care if kind of, you know, fair-minded people in electorates like Wentworth or, or Higgins think he's out there. That's not who he's pitching to. No, no. In fact, he doesn't care if he trashes some of our international reputation by being so disrespectful to a UN climate conference that we've all signed up from, the world is watching, or a senior British politician. He doesn't care because his message is really designed, as you say, to shore up votes in those seats and to fend off Clive Palmer, One Nation, shooters and fishers, particularly in The Hunter. That's what he's trying to do. And we've seen him do this before. He does this thing where... He goes way over the top with a line as he, and he reels it back in over the period of days or weeks or sometimes months to try and get that retail line, that cut-through line that you were talking about. And his line this week and the last two weeks has been, if you shut down coal, you're not going to have money to fund your hospitals, you're not going to have money to fund your schools, you're not going to have money to fund the ABC, he'll say to you or to me. And he's going to keep saying that because that's the only message he wants to be heard out in the bush. So they're saying... Barnaby's standing up for us. Mm. It's just completely that. And there seems to be no reining in going on from the Liberal Party or certainly from the Prime Minister. No. And there's a reason for that. They've made the calculation that denouncing Barnaby Joyce is a waste of their time, right? Uh, Some key people, including, you know, I I know people close to the Prime Minister think it's it's not worth their time, that it's a distraction for them. Let Barnaby be Barnaby. Um, and that works for them or? They think it works for them. The moderate Liberals, they get nervous, particularly in those key seats, they do. But even they think they can sort of go, oh, he's over there, but we're fighting for this over here. The danger for them, Fran, is that voters who are pretty educated in some of those seats will think, hang on a minute, 
you can say that, but isn't Barnaby Joyce running your climate change policy? You didn't. You don't. You won't change your midterm targets. We've signed up to this without any intention of going next year, apparently, and making modifications under the Morrison government. So there is a danger, I think, for those um, moderates who are trying to say, yes, yes, my party's taking climate change seriously, to have someone so senior do this. They can say he's different. It's the nationals. We're different. We're fighting for you. Look at the net zero emissions pledge by 2050. We delivered that. That's what they'll be arguing. Will that be enough? I'm not convinced. Should we bring in our guest? Let's do it. <laughs> Stan Grant, ABC International Affairs Analyst and the host of China Tonight and Q&A. Welcome to the party room. Hello. Is that me clinking the glass? Uh, that's yeah. you. That's having a wild time. A bit early to be Cheers, clinking glass. <laughs> hey, um, Stan, PK and I have just been talking about the Morrison government, you know, signing on to the final communique in Glasgow mm. and then almost immediately disavowing some of the headline pledges. It's non-binding, but that immediate refusal to buy into a commitment to consider, for instance, greater 2030 ambition on Mm -hmm. emissions opened the door for Labor to start talking about trust. How can you trust this lot, you know, if their word in Glasgow is worth nothing back here? What do you think? Is that going to register with people or does that fit with, you know, the Morrison government? Scott Morrison, remember he gave that big speech repudiating what he called negative globalism, unaccountable yeah. internationalist yeah. bureaucracy. Yeah, and he finds himself, doesn't he, at a bit of a hinge point because, of course, with Joe Biden, it is all about globalism again. It's all about international alliances and multilateralism. So yeah, that's one, not so fashionable in Washington That's anymore. right. And so, so on the one hand, he's joining into things like the Quad, um, AUKUS, but on the other hand, wanting to speak to a different constituency. And I think when it comes to, to climate, he's speaking to both sides of the street here. So he can go to Glasgow and say, we've got this commitment, net, net zero by 2050, but then he can come back to Australia and tell people in the coal mining communities and the towns that I went over there and I stood up for coal. I stood up for your jobs. And then you can accuse Labor because, of course, Labor's in a bit of a bind here mm-hmm. as well. We haven't seen their plan yet. Um, and we know the price they paid last time around on this issue. He can then go out and say, they're going to take your jobs. They would have gone to Glasgow and sold you out. They would have signed up for getting rid of coal. We're trying, we're going to look at, at actually preserving your jobs and meeting our commitments. So I think that was the strategy. And Barnaby Joyce's is playing along with that. Yeah, we've just been talking about Barnaby. It's a switch though, isn't it? Because, you know, it was it was Anthony Albanese who from the mm. very get-go came out with this big pitch about Labor's all about, you know, not just see, doing you out of your job but actually helping you transition to the new economy mm. and we're going to be investing in the new jobs and the new energies and yeah, new opportunities but... around the world. Now Scott Morrison's completely taken his lines. Yeah, he has. And, and when it comes to this, I mean, people still can't see the new jobs, the new economy. People are still, you know, they're doing the jobs they're doing. And, you know, Fran, I, I, I often come to this and I think about, you know, when I was a kid, I remember this conversation that my mum and dad had. Dad was a sawmiller and we moved from town to town and, you know, life was very tenuous. And I remember dad coming home once and I was about nine years old and knew something was up and listening around the corner and he said to mum, uh, we've all been laid off. They've shut down the mill. And he said, the greenies. Mm-hmm. have shut down the logging. Now, this is back in the 70s. And that's all we had. We had no place to go. 
We had no money. We had no job. So I, when I look at the debate now and I think, I know what it's like to be a mm. kid and to know that your industry is shutting down and to have said to my father, that's all right, there'll be new technologies and new, new, new industries and you'll get a new job in the computer industry was just ludicrous. And I don't think people can see those jobs at the moment. So Morrison has taken those lines, but he can also go back to those communities and say... I'm standing up for your jobs, the jobs you've got now. Where this leaves Labor is going to be really tricky. Yeah, I think that is a conundrum. There are still problems for the Prime Minister, though, because he's also trying to sell two messages, one to yeah. you know, the electorates of Wentworth and Higgins and then also That's to those right. coal communities. So he has the same <laughs> conundrum Dave, in many ways. Dave right? Sharma saying one thing and then Barnaby Joyce saying, but, but, you know, he can also deploy Barnaby to do that. Exactly, Mundo. Isn't that the case? Exactly. I think there's some dual messaging going on. Absolutely, absolutely. And so he he can do that, and he can he can send Barnaby out to do that, and then he can keep faith here. And I think for Labor, they're going to have to make a calculation at some point that do they write off seats in Queensland? Queensland? Do they write off seats potentially in the Hunter? And do they pick up the seats in places like Mm. Victoria? Um, particularly after COVID, where there may still be a lot of anger towards the federal government. That's going to be their calculation Well, that's well. a hard calculation because they're blue ribbon seats in Victoria yeah. they're looking at. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. Now, just, just on COP26, it mm. does, okay, it's non-binding, but we did sign the communique that Fran mentioned. Yeah. We've got to go back next year uh, and it looks to me that the Morrison government won't budge on the midterm targets. Mm. Is internationally that's going to be a really big issue for them. What do they say in the election campaign? Like, because that's where the pressure will be. What are you going to do in your midterm? Do they just stick to this line? I I think they do stick to this line, and I don't think that's going to register necessarily with the Australian voter what's going to happen, you know, next time around or what international agreements you're going to be held to. I don't know that that's how it's going to be fought here. And and in in a sense as well, you know, Morrison's been dragged to the net zero by 2050 because the world is changing. And in a sense, those big decisions will be taken out of the hands of Australian leaders because it's the big countries. It's China, it's India, mm. it's the United States, it's Russia who will actually have to make do the heavy lifting. And we may be dragged along in that wake. It's also, as, as the Prime Minister keeps pointing out, the decisions are going to be made for us by other countries. Yeah, because that's, they're that's signing what's happening. On. They're signing on. Um, also, I mean, you're all over COP26. You did the, the mm. doco this week. Um, but China Tonight, too, is your field. And what we're seeing at the moment, this week in particular, with that um, virtual yeah. face-to-face between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden, discussing issues like climate, which, you know, they're surprised at the very sort of last hours of the climate summit, there were US and China coming up with some kind of form of words that looked like some kind of compromise. I'm not sure there was much to it. But this this uh, sort of rapprochement between these yeah. two, sort of change of atmospherics anyway, are tensions really de-escalating between these two powers? Is this just realpolitik? They don't want war, so they need to work out a framework to allow them to have competition but de-escalation. And where does that leave Australia and our kind of That's a really strong language question. on China? Yeah, and the risk is that we would all always be left potentially high and dry. And that happened with France a bit too, right? Because Biden yep. came in and undercut us and basically said, France is more important to us than Australia. China is more important to America, frankly, than, than anybody than, than Australia. Yeah. And so there's, there's a bit of pragmatism on both sides here. Xi Jinping's got the Olympics coming up. Mm. He does not want anything to disrupt that. Notice as well how he's toned down some of the Taiwan rhetoric, talking about peaceful reunification rather than we'll come in and take it by force. 
he's he's also playing to a different sort of audience. You know, he says one thing at home, he says another thing abroad. I think both of them have said that they don't want to see things descend into another Cold mm. War. So And they don't want to veer into conflict. And they don't want to veer into conflict. Yeah. So so there is and, and I always thought that climate was going to be a window for a greater rapprochement. It's too soon to say that this is going to spill over into a bigger deal, but it it does remind us that we can have the G twenty and you know we can have the, the COP meetings, yeah. but it's the G two. Yeah. And that that will determine this century. And you're right, Australia, which has been very bullish, could end up isolated if the two big powers look at forming some sort of a grand bargain. And the coalition has accused Labor of being soft on China too. Um, I think it's a complete misrepresentation too. I mean, you know, I think... Well, they're not much different. uh, No. That's the point. But but obviously Paul Keating's intervention is key here. But the way that Scott Morrison has tried to depict Albanese as sympathetic to China, it's overreach in my view, um, but it just shows how... It's tactical. He wants, he wants to try to goad him into some sort of a statement. He wants him to look as though he's breaking with the national interest. Look at the language that's used now after Paul Keating's speech, that Keating is an appeaser, he's selling us out. They want yep. Labor to take that bait. Um, Penny Wong has been, you know, really careful in not taking the bait. She doesn't want necessarily to open up too much space between the two because you could be then cast as being against Australia's interests. You're not fighting for Australia's interests. You're not standing up for Australia. They've been very careful on that. Maybe Morrison is trying to manoeuvre Albanese into saying something that he can then pounce on. I think Morrison is doing, as I keep saying this, he keeps sort of imaging himself on John Howard. And remember Mm. the Kaki election in 1996? I think think Scott Morrison is trying to, he wants the pandemic gone, he'd like climate gone, he'd like an an economic and national security election. And I think that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And and Labor has to be very careful on all of it. Now that they've moved to net zero by 2050, the government, Labor can be seen as being, you know, um, to the left of that and wanting to take your jobs. When they're muscling up against China, they any any sort of shift in Labor that looks as though they're soft, they'll pounce on that. So Labor's being very cautious. I know Paul Keating's very frustrated with Penny Wong oh. because she won't come out and, and deliver a definitive Labor line, but she's also having to be very careful because of the potential mm. risk. Now, I want to change the conversation um, Let's talk about the controversy about Victoria's pandemic bill because it's turned very ugly. Mm. The proposed laws give the Premier the power to declare a pandemic, something that currently only the Chief Health Officer can do, uh, introduces broad powers for the Health Minister to make public health orders, amongst other things. There's been a lot of valid criticism, I think, on this. Uh, at the same time in New South Wales, Dominic Perrottet uh, backed down on a similar extension of powers. Mm. But the politics in New South Wales are so different, I think, because of the legacy of two years of on-again, on off-again you know, uh, lockdowns. Yeah. But what I want to talk to you about is, is politics getting uglier? We've seen death threats to the Premier in Victoria and to his family. Some and some of, of the crossbenches. Yeah, some of the crossbenches. But it's been a really toxic scene on the scenes of uh, the Yeah, of and I think, I think in many ways 
politics has been getting uglier for a lot longer and this increased tribalism, the anger that we see on social media, the protests that have spilled over in Victoria. And we've all been in this hothouse, right? We've all been squeezed in, locked down. The pressure has been building on all of us. You know, if I, if I was in Victoria, I don't know, frankly, how I would have coped with the last couple of years. It's been hard enough being in mm. New South Wales. And we're the lucky ones, right? We mm-hmm. get to come to work. We have guaranteed yep. incomes. My kids have got all got computers and they can study and they've got their own bedrooms. And, you know, life is easier. So there's so much pressure. But I think, I think that, that overall question, I think what we've seen in the United States um, which led up to Trump and during the Trump years, there's always a bit of a lag and Australia sort of starts to exhibit some of those same tendencies as well. We've always, uh, you know, I think there's been a greater civility and probably compulsory voting mitigates against some of the more extremes of politics. But the, the impact of that, I think we're starting to see in much more vitriol. I think you could ask Julia Gillard whether she agrees that we've got a greater civility necessarily. I mean, mm. we remember that Ditch the Witch, Ditch the Witch protest yeah, out yeah. the front where there was nooses on that one too and yeah. put her in a shaft, bar, shaft bag and throw her in the harbour. Yep. I mean, that was very, very ugly. But that was not... I think that was a set of different forces. I mean, I think clearly what we are seeing in the And these... that was still seen as extreme and oh, Abbott, it... Abbott was criticised, Alan Jones was taken to task. It's a bit more normalised now yeah, and maybe and that's I think the it's impact a bit clearer too that we've got the far right involved and we've got yeah. some of those what you might call the same sort of Trumpian forces yeah. involved in these, I- infiltrating if you like, because clearly some of the protesters do hate the pandemic legislation and others are just agitating. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but but sure. I think the point you made, Stan, is a good one, that while there might be some really radical and very concerning elements here, I mean, really uh, in- incredibly uh, offensive stuff, but the underlying sentiment is the one that I think we need to be much more honest about, which mm. is one of extreme, as you say, frustration. Mm. And I think that is a broader sentiment that politicians genuinely need to engage with and we all need and to we engage don't, with. We, we don't engage with it. We don't engage with it well. We descend into culture war yep, really yep. quickly and really easily. And shut down. And you know, listen, just shut it down. Th- there is a warning coming out of the US as well to come back to Labor because, you know, we can see what the government does. We can see what they're, what they're doing. We can see the decisions they make. But how does Labor handle this? The Democrats are running into some headwinds mm-hmm. now when it comes to these questions of critical race theory, um, identity politics. Um, and I think Labor's going to have to have this conversation conversation as well. Because while we see the extremism on the right, we also see intolerance, tribalism, extremism on the left, identity politics, the harsher aspects of those things, um, critical race theory. We've already started to see a debate starting to build here around that as well. And the Democrats are going to really have to face, Biden at some point is going to have to re, is going to have to recenter that discussion. And I think these questions are going to be asked here of Labor. And Albanese is in a position to have to navigate this too. And also Dan Andrews, I think it doesn't help by him signalling out um, and trying to make a political point, which he does very effectively generally, of the opposition politicians who are at these protests, Hmm. you know, um, trying to bundle them completely into the the bag of um, right-wing extremists. When, you know, we do have the right to protest in this country, so that's a delicate line as well. Yeah, it is a delicate line. Look, I I just think that there is a 
a, a genuine um, disgruntled feeling post-pandemic, particularly in the places most acutely affected, Victoria, but in New South Wales too. Mm. Uh, I think it's an uneven story across the country. But when you said identity politics and all of that, all I could think, and I was like, G -g -g -g, don't interrupt people, I just want to say this, <laughs> the quiet Australians. Ah, yeah, yeah. yes. Yes. That's, that's it. That's so part of it. They've been quiet. What are they going to do? Yeah. What are they going to do come March, come May? Yes. Right? Is he still, he being Scott Morrison, is he still talking to those quiet Australians? Are they hearing him on another level at the moment on all mm. of the climate stuff, on, on the pandemic, let's get stuff. on with it, the national, are they hearing or is something shifted? Where is the country at? And I think that's the exciting thing, if I can leave us here, mm. about elections. We can mm. actually get a genuine verdict on where we're at here. Yeah, yeah. And there are so many things in play. There are so many things. You know, I think there was a line from Pope Francis who said, um, we're not living through a time of change, we're living through a changing time. Um, and that, I think, where all of it, climate, race, gender, um, all the big social issues, um, the, the inequality, um, or rise of China, all of those things. It's not just a time of change, changing time. On that note, Stan Grant, perfect guest for this week. Thanks, Thanks. so much for joining us. Cheers. Stan, you're amazing. Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and, and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. Yeah. The bells are ringing. That means it is time for our question time, and this week's question comes from Hugo, who writes, the government seems to be angling for an election based on what Australia looks like post-pandemic and who voters trust to manage the long-term economic recovery. If this is the case, do you think the Labor Party has made a mistake adopting a small target strategy like Howard in 1996? And would it be more likely to win if it had a big, progressive and transformative agenda for change like Whitlam in 1972? Well, I can tell you, Hugo, Anthony Albanese already knows that they're unlikely to win if they go for the big progressive uh, agenda. And the reason he knows that is because that's what Bill Shorten did last time mm. and they got hammered. There was too many traps in it, too many big numbers, too many huge targets for Scott Morrison to go for. Remember last election, during the all the party rooms were recorded during that time, PK, we were talking about... Um, how Scott Morrison really had no policies. He, he wasn't offering really anything. All he was doing was pulling apart and taking pot shots at Labor's policy and the scare campaigns around death taxes and, you know, what's their carbon change, carbon, climate change policy going to cost, those sorts of things, which they couldn't answer. So Anthony Albanese has decided long ago he's not going to do that. His sort of stopgap position is, you know, our policies before the election. And of course we will. That goes without saying. Um, but there is a danger. There's always a danger in fighting the last war. That's the mm, first thing. Always. And there's always a danger in letting your opponent frame you and who you are. And if, if Labor's not Putting, making a story and a narrative about themselves that is persuasive to the voters, then they're in danger of being framed by Scott Morrison, which is what he's trying to do desperately right now, I think. Yeah, that's right. There are dangers, though, for Scott Morrison, as you say, in, in fighting the last election, particularly on that climate change issue. You could, clearly, they're angling around that. But, you know, there are booby traps for them as well because things have changed. The, I think the sentiment in the community has shifted. Um, that's why we've got net zero by 2050. That's right. right. So we've, it's a narrow way of fighting the election. But uh, Labor, I do think this is going to be really... I think Labor has tried to learn the 
the lessons from the last election, but sometimes, and I've seen this happen, so have you in so many elections, watch this space because they may have overcorrected. I don't think it should be big, broad, you know, give them so many targets to go no, but for. but what do you stand for? Exactly. Exactly. And one lib said to me, you know what, I think the PM is suffering. I think people are kind of grumpy at him, but there's, there's no baseball bats. And, you know, that, that sort of idea that are they, are they willing to give him another term? This is the first Prime Minister since John Howard who's gone to the electorate with a full term record. And it will be fascinating to see how they judge him because they get to judge him this time. Well, they do, but their record really has been completely taken up by the pandemic. So, you know, I think Scott Morrison is is banking on people being sort of feeling safe from that and moving on to the fact that there's a lot of jobs out there, the fact that maybe they've got some savings in their pockets because of all the government subsidy, you know, billions and mm. billions and billions that's been rolled out. Um, but we shall see. We will. Well, that's it for the party room this week. Yep. Don't forget, send us your questions. We love your questions. You can tweet them using the hashtag the party room or email your questions to the party room at abc.net.au. And I'm very lucky because I've got another in-person Fran Kelly party room record. Very pleased with myself. See you, Fran. See you, PK. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.